This is ReachMD. The following episode in the series, Cracking the Code on Peanut Allergies, is brought to you through an independent educational grant from Amune Therapeutics. Here is your host, Dr. Amy Mackey. The prevalence of peanut allergy among children is on the rise, which creates a myriad of ongoing issues for patients and caregivers as this life-threatening condition extends into adulthood. But there's renewed hope within the healthcare community from a recently published study that may change the way we treat these patients going forward. This is Cracking the Code on Peanut Allergies, and I'm Dr. Amy Mackey. Joining me to review the findings and potential impacts of the Palisade trial published in the New England Journal of Medicine is lead author Dr. Brian Vickery, Associate Professor of Pediatrics and Director of the Food Allergy Center at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta at Emory University School of Medicine. Dr. Vickery, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. It's good to be with you. So, Dr. Vickery, before diving into the study, let's talk about the public health crisis of peanut allergies and how this led to your research investigation with a Palisade group of clinical investigators. So, peanut allergy is currently estimated to affect about 1.5% of children in the United States with a similar prevalence in other industrialized countries around the world like the UK, Western Europe, Australia, et cetera. There's one uh, US-based study that found that this seems to represent a 300% increase in recent years, so peanut allergy is getting more common. And the reasons for this aren't clear, but likely involve a complex interaction of environmental factors, which includes actually the way that infants have been introduced to peanut in recent years. But there are still a lot of knowledge gaps about why this is happening. And in addition to that, uh, there's been a gap in, in terms of understanding how best to treat peanut allergy, really with no FDA-approved options up until this point. What was the investigational background behind this new therapeutic approach as far as the earlier studies leading up to this one? So this approach that we studied here is called oral immunotherapy, uh, often called OIT for short. And OIT is an old concept, in fact. Um, it's actually over 100 years old, with the first report being in The Lancet in 1908 with an egg allergic boy that was treated with egg desensitization. But this has really been poorly studied, mostly small studies or case reports over the successive 100 years. And then starting in the mid-2000s, there were several small academic trials that provided sort of proof of concept for OIT with a little bit more rigor and, and uh, some preliminary evidence that it could be a safe and effective form of treatment. A company was founded to move this forward uh, with, the, with the idea that it could be potentially translated into the clinic uh, if, if uh, it looked good after wider testing. The company developed uh, GMP methods to manufacture a standardized product and then had a positive phase, phase two study in 55 peanut allergic patients a few years ago. So let's focus on the methodology for this study. How did your team conduct this trial and monitor outcomes? So this trial occurred in 66 sites in 10 countries uh, across the world and enrolled uh, peanut allergic patients aged 4 to 55. Now, the pre-specified primary analysis population in the study was children aged 4 to 17, but adults were included in the study, and I think we'll talk about that a little bit later. Those uh, participants had to have a history of reacting to peanut and had to be sensitized to peanut, had to have positive test results. And then they qualified for the study by undergoing what's called a double-blind placebo-controlled food challenge, 
at, uh, during the screening period of the study where they had to have a clear allergic reaction at or before 100 milligrams of peanut protein given in the food challenge, which in real world terms is about one third of one peanut kernel. Well, so let's walk through what your team found throughout the study. Can you speak to the initial results? Yeah, so the, the, the top line results show that in the four to 17 year old age group, uh, after one year of desensitization treatment, 67% in the active group compared to 4% in the placebo group could tolerate uh, 600 milligrams of peanut protein at a double blind placebo controlled food challenge performed at the end of treatment. So the difference was from reacting in real world terms from uh, one third of one peanut at the beginning to being able to tolerate two peanuts at the end, which doesn't sound like a lot, but is on average a hundred fold improvement in the active group um, with clear separation from the placebo group and shows uh, a term that we refer to as clinical desensitization. And so there must have been some adverse events that happened as you were taking on this trial, but can you tell me how those were followed and what was reported? Right, so adverse events were collected uh, by a variety of methods, primarily daily diaries that the participants filled out at home every day, as well as direct observation. Uh, it's important to note that in this type of treatment, OIT, there are um, doses that are given throughout the study in the research unit um, approximately every two weeks as the dose is increased. So it starts from less than one milligram and then builds up over about a six month period of time to a maintenance dose of 300 milligrams and each of those do dose adjustments occurs in the clinic, but then all of the other doses are given at home. Um, so the investigational product is in a capsule that comes that's distributed to the families. They open it up, they sprinkle it into um, yogurt, pudding, applesauce, something like that, and consume it orally every day at home. So the participants recorded their experience taking the dose in daily diaries and then were of course observed when they were in the research unit. The severity of adverse events was scored with conventionally used um, grading scales for allergy research that have been published. And the protocol had individual and study stopping rules for adverse events of particular severity or frequency. And there was also a follow-up and observation uh, mandated for certain types of adverse events. Great. So can you elucidate for us some of the adverse events that occurred and, and what that looked like? So as you might expect, a type of therapy like this where participants are, are gradually exposed to the very thing that they're allergic to does produce adverse events. And this was a group of participants in the study that were actually quite allergic. About half of them had asthma, two thirds of them had uh, additional food allergies beyond peanut, most of them had atopic dermatitis. So adverse events were, uh, were seen very commonly in both groups, uh, upwards of 90% in both groups. Those that um, were more common in the active group affected the typical target organs that you might expect in uh, allergy studies where you're giving uh, somebody peanut allergen to swallow. So that includes the GI tract, the skin, and the lungs. This was consistent with what has been seen in other studies of OIT. There was no unusual toxicity seen in this study. Overall, adverse events that were considered serious or severe were relatively rare affecting about 5.5% in the active group and about 1.5% in the placebo group. And then there were particular adverse events of, of interest in the study that were uh, considered more significant, like systemic allergic reactions and a particular type of GI intolerance, 
and the systemic allergic rea reactions affected 14.2% in the active group versus 3.2% in the placebo group. Uh, and then with respect to the GI side effects, you saw 4.3% um, 4, 4 in the active group that withdrew uh, due to these GI events versus not in the placebo group. There is an allergic condition called eosinophilic esophagitis that has been described in participants undergoing this type of treatment. In this study, three participants underwent an endoscopy to have that evaluated, and one of those three was positive for EOE in the study. Why do you think there was such a high rate of adverse events in patients taking the placebo? Well, it just reflects the fact that the participants in this study um, were primarily children, and they were atopic children who are going to also have not only viral infections, but viral infections that trigger maybe asthma flares or deterioration in their eczema control. And that's why it's important to do studies like this uh, that include placebo controls, because there is a, a fair rate of, of background uh, signal. And I can see that the efficacy for this therapy was not seen in participants who are 18 years of age or older. Why do you think this was the case? That's an important question, and I think it's, it's, it's really key to understand that this study was not powered to detect an effect in adults. So, as I mentioned, the, the, the pre-specified analysis population was those aged 4 to 17. Adults were included. Uh, and the, the effect in adults was a secondary endpoint of the study, but the study was not powered to find a difference. There was a relatively small number of, of adult patients in the study, only 56, uh, and there was a relatively high withdrawal rate in the study for adults, which may reflect the, the rigor of this type of treatment where you're coming to the research unit every you know, two weeks or so for about half a day, and you can imagine for a working adult, that's a lot of missed work and so on. Um, when, you, when you analyze the data from a conservative intent to treat perspective, where you treat all the withdrawals as failures, you don't see a difference between the active and the placebo group. But we think that that might be actually a type two error, um, meaning that uh, when you look at the completer data and you actually analyze the efficacy of the treatment in those that are able to uh, complete the study, the efficacy in adults looked basically the same as it did in children, um, but the results were not statistically significant because of the high dropout rate. So I think that's it's interesting preliminary data. Obviously, you 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 know you need to rely on intent to treat analyses, but it suggests that perhaps a larger uh, adequately powered study in adults, where maybe there's some flexibility in the protocol, uh, uh, could you know could be indicated at this step. Okay. So looking back over the study, what were the main takeaways for you and your colleagues, and what are the next steps on the research side? Well, I think, you know, based on our experience from, you know, as I say, over 100 years, I think there was sort of general understanding that OIT works from an efficacy perspective. Um, but I think, you know, one of the main issues was, is it practical in the real world? Is it safe in the real world? Um, and would these smaller studies um, bear out in a larger study? So I think you know, one of the big takeaways from this study is that this was, um, uh, by a, a long shot, the largest uh, study ever done in uh, food immunotherapy. Uh, again, 66 centers in 10 countries with a placebo control uh, provided, you know, really the highest quality evidence that we've seen uh, in this field and actually uh, quite closely replicated the phase two efficacy results um, and some of the other studies that have been published without seeing any unusual toxicity. 
And this is notable um, considering that this was in, again, highly allergic people uh, in diverse populations around the world that included not only the academic centers that have studied this most closely, but also community uh, centers, some of whom had no experience with this type of treatment. And this gives us you know, pretty high confidence in the findings and that they have generalizability to the real world. And I think that's, um, that's in part why uh, you saw that it was published in the New England Journal, because th these are the types of studies that uh, have the potential to change practice. Right. Excellent. Um, from a broader standpoint, what roles do you see oral immunotherapies taking in food allergy management going forward? I think you'll see continued study of peanut OIT in younger children. So that this the lower limit of age here was age four, but peanut allergy usually presents in infancy or uh, early pre the early preschool years. And I think um, it, it's worth looking at this therapy in those young children where it might actually have the most benefit. Um, I think you'll see study of peanut OIT with other adjuvants that might make it a little bit safer perhaps or, or more effective. And then I think you're also gonna see um, other food, uh, you know, immunotherapies studied for milk and egg and tree nuts and some of those other types of foods. Uh, and then, you know, beyond that, there's there's still a whole bunch of research questions as we move this into the clinic um, in the so-called sort of T3 and T4 translational research phase, where we're looking at real-world safety in tens of thousands of patients, long-term adherence, uh, you know, patient-centered outcomes such as quality of life cost effectiveness, all these types of things that we actually haven't studied yet uh, because we haven't had a, th a therapy like this that's used in, in real patients. Well, that's a great way to round out our discussion. Dr. Vickery, thanks so much for joining me today to bring us up to speed on this recent advance to peanut allergy treatment. It was a pleasure having you on the program. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. The preceding program was brought to you through an independent educational grant from Amune Therapeutics. To access other episodes in this series, visit ReachMD.com slash peanut allergies. This is ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge. Amune is a clinical stage biopharmaceutical company developing desensitization treatments to help protect people with food allergies from the potentially life-threatening consequences of accidental exposure. For more information, visit www.amune.com.